Coming up next, the bookening reads East of Eden. the bookening my name is nathan alberson your humble and obedient host i'm here with jake menzel hello jake hello nathan and brandon chastine hello nathan and we are going to talk about east of eden some more today in our spoiler filled episode yay but first we want to give a shout out to burl he helped us with some sound engineering stuff thanks burl thank you burl burl's not nodding his head because he can't hear. Yeah. He has no idea. We just gave him a shout out. No. We can tell him when we're done. All right. Let's talk about the Hamiltons. You guys ready to talk about the Hamilton family? Yes. Let's do it. I thought it might, we might divide it up by families. Talk about these characters first because I like to gossip about characters. So let's talk about the Hamilton family. And we might as well dive right into the deep end with Mr. Samuel Hamilton himself. Prophet. Irishman, poet, poet, closet drunk, closet drunk, <laughs> <laughs> ne'er do well, ne'er do well, <laughs> ne'er do well, <laughs> ne'er do well. Uh, what'd you guys think about Samuel Hamilton? I loved him. I yeah. still do. What did you love about Samilton? <laughs> what did you love about Samilton Hamilton? Hamilton Samuel Samuel Samilton Samuel Sam. Um, I don't know. It's hard to put it into words. He's larger than life. Yeah. He's a lover and a poet and a gentleman and a scholar and a bunch of other really ridiculous <laughs> things. I don't know. <laughs> I Does he play his music in the sun? <laughs> Do people call him Maurice? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Samuel Hamilton. What did you guys think about old Samuel Hamilton? He's this larger-than-life figure. I loved him. To me, he just is like, he is the middle, the heart of the novel. Everything stops when you meet Samuel Hamilton. The Trask family saga stops in my mind, and everything goes in slow motion. He's just alive. He's a man alive to the world. He's alive to the cosmos. He's alive to what it means to be a man. He sees things that nobody else in the novel see. Because he has insight into his own, into himself, he has tragedy in his own past. He has a wisdom paired with a real jolliness that, that I think Steinbeck would say that only an Irishman can have. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a bit of an Irish stereotype. Yeah, he but is well expressed and three dimensional, but he fits the comical Irishman type as well. What He's are you a very say? colorful character mm-hmm. with great great humor over the top of uh, a well of sorrow and experience and real joy, but real wisdom, I think. Yeah, to an extent he is a stereotype, but this book plays a lot with stereotypes and then breaks those stereotypes. Shows you that there's truth to them, but then there's also depth 
to them that has to be mined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, so, there's something interesting about the characters. I, I would say all of the characters are types. Are, uh, they're all types. They're all types. Yeah. And yet they're all, it's, it's sort of a magic thing that he pulls off where you're dealing with types that are really broad, and yet you do feel like they're real people. One of the things that I thought was strange was that there, Samuel was one of the only characters that I could actually carry a picture of, a visual picture of in my mind. Mm-hmm. I know what Samuel Hamilton looks like. I know what Tom Hamilton looks like. I'm not sure I could tell you what Adam Trask looks like, yeah. at least comparatively. In my mind, he jumps off the page as a as a real larger-than-life person. Well, in a sense, Adam Trask is us. Right. And Samuel Hamilton is every awesome professor, father, uncle. Yeah. We have, we've all had a Samuel Hamilton in our life, and if you haven't, then you are not very well. Blessed. It's you know, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to Sad be you. Life. What were you going to say, Brandon? Oh, about his the stereotype? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, there's this sense of foreignness about him. I think when he's first introduced, he's introduced as being foreign, right? And he had to overcome that because all the men in the town were afraid that with his jolliness and his knowledge, he might even steal away their wives. Mm-hmm. But then they realized that that's not who Sam Hamilton was. And so instead, he becomes sort of this oracle position where all the men will come. They'll bring to him... They're machines that need fixed, but actually what they're doing is they're coming to get his stories. They're coming to get his wisdom and his counsel. Yeah, he takes on this larger-than-life position in the novel. Everybody in the novel kind of has a type. You know? So part, part of the thing we have to deal with is that a lot, of, a lot of allegory is happening in the novel. And yet how we're supposed to parse that and understand the allegory. So he, uh, you said he was the prophet. Yeah. And he is. He has the prophet position. He's the one who punches. We're doing spoilers now, right? Yes, absolutely. He's the one who punches Adam in the face, right? And, and, Fantastic scene. Yeah, yeah one, of one of the best, best scenes, scenes of the novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's the one who names the boys, right? Or at least causes the naming of the he boys. He draws out the yeah. names, mm-hmm. yeah. And- yeah. And so he does a lot of this prophetic giving of names, snapping people out of their funk, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that these prophets would do for David in the Bible. And the, and, the um, satanic character, Kathy, recognizes and hates him without any yeah, reason. And is afraid she just, of him. She just yeah. knows this guy's against me and yeah. bites into his hand when he tries to deliver. She's just, like, animalistic. It's, it's mm-hmm. like a demon coming across Jesus or something like that. It's that level of just... Yeah, they recognize each other. They recognize each other. Yeah, and they recognize each other as enemies. Yeah. He recognizes her as an enemy. When it, it's when he comes and visits and they have dinner for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And she comes to the table and then he's wa- he's walking home or riding home and he's trying to remember what it is about her. Yeah. And, and he, then it has to do with the eyes. The eyes mm-hmm. are dead. The eyes... Goes to that flashback of the hanging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of the yeah. villain who's in his father in a telling scene for... His past, you know, he had a very warm father who didn't want him to see this. Yeah, I love the fact that um, we don't know about his past and that it's just this colorful. You know, people think maybe I don't know what it says about that, but it's, he's got this whole story. Yeah, he's got emotions and feelings that are hard to rein in. Mm-hmm. So he comes out in his son Tom, who yeah. is completely unable to control himself like his father was able to control himself. Mm-hmm. But I then think you at get the one sense point, that yeah, Tom's described as just smashing his head against the world or something yeah. like mm-hmm. that. Everywhere he turns, he's just he hits everything with full force, and that's that's Samuel 
but Samuel has more restraint or he's he has some moderation that Tom doesn't have. It's hard to find places in this book, but is there a, sp- a spot where it says that Sam had like humor and an ability to laugh at things that Tom didn't have and that was part of it, a levity and a lightness? It's definitely there yeah. whether it explicitly yeah. says that. Um, yeah, he talks about um, there's there's that one place where he talks about they're compa- he's comparing and contrasting Sam and Tom and so he talks about how Samuel could when he read a book he would surf over the top of it mm-hmm. and yeah and when Tom read a book he would burrow down into it and mine it and come up covered in grime and dirt and you know the weight of it and it would take days for him to get over it while Sam he could pass over it and take it in and absorb it but he was never really you get the sense that he did internalize it It was real he wasn't just it wasn't superficial surfing but it was also uh there was a a part of his character that was not so easily he he was always sam and and tom was always so deeply affected that he could be wrecked by anything Uh, sam wasn't as consumed by his feelings and his emotions he could deal with them he could handle them so there's the scene where he's talking to lee and lee it's the pivotal moment of the book where Tim Schull comes up and he says that Lee has overturned his world and he doesn't know. He's going to have to go and he's going to have to think it over. He's, Lee has basically exploded his world. But um, it doesn't stop Samuel from being Samuel in the way that it would have stopped Tom from being Tom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tom's world would have ground to a halt and yeah. he would not have been able to function. He would have laid on his bed staring at the wall. Right. Which is exactly what happens. Well, when... the nice thing about Samuel, I think, is that one of the admirable and lovable things about him is that he t- he treats everything with a light touch. He doesn't have a sense of self-importance about himself. He does feel prophetic in that, or, or he feels like a prophet in that it's never about him. He's always helping other people. Mm-hmm. He's always there, you know, for whatever reason, for an undefined reason, really. He's just going to help Adam, going to selflessly give to Adam. You know, Liza is always telling him to leave Adam alone. And there's a, a line in there somewhere that says that it wasn't in Samuel to leave a man alone who was sorrowing mm-hmm. or in agony or pain. He just didn't have it in him to not help. He had to be invested. He had to go and play his do part. Something. And this is one of the sweetest, sweetest, uh, the, I feel like I'm going to be saying one of the best scenes or sweetest scenes of the whole book all the time as we go through. So there are probably like 50 best scenes, but really that scene with Liza and Sam where she tells him to go. She gets out the other Bible. Just that whole whole part from the minute that Samuel hears that the boys don't have names up through that conversation over uh, Ngapi or whatever. Another apropos of nothing, perhaps, the the thing that sticks out to me about Samuel is that it's so rare for a literary character, in terms of technique, for a character to have that much exposition before we get a real scene with them. Mm. That's not necessarily rare, but what's rare is for the character to live up to their billing He's described as a comical genius. He's described as a wise and inventive and colorful man. Steinbeck creates this character that you have a really strong idea of. And even reading the novel the second time, I was like, there's no way once Sam Hamilton comes on scene, I remember him being a vivid character, but there's no way he lives up to how Steinbeck spends chapters. I remember having the same feeling of how is he going to pull off Right, because it would require Steinbeck to be a comical genius. Which and he doesn't to be seem wise. to be. Right. But 
he At pulls off evoking point. that character. We don't get to see, perhaps because it's not Steinbeck's gift, we don't get to see his comical genius right. come out. But we get the sense of how it would have been and what it was and what made him funny. Uh, mm-hmm. We get the sense of, and I think he completely lives up to his billing, which is just amazing. Yeah, a good counterpart. We don't have to get into talking about Kathy yet, but Kathy is a character that is billed a certain way. And I don't know that she can live up to how she's billed. I, because of how she was billed, I ended up spending, I think, the whole second half of the novel just waiting for, waiting and waiting and waiting for her to bring tragedy and train wreck into the picture. She was going to get Adam. She was going to get to Adam through Cal or Aaron. She was going to, she was going to do something to get, and it never really happened. She's there in the background and she's always kind of there hanging over your head, but she, she doesn't end up playing uh, that large of a, of a direct role at yeah. least. But we'll talk about she, Kathy yeah, yeah. a little bit later. We'll later. Um, I only bring her up to mention there's an example of an interesting interplay with the way that she's built and the exposition that's given and then mm-hmm. the actual scenes that we have with her feel not quite like I would have expected. But Samuel Hamilton is every inch the man that Steinbeck tells us he's going to be in the exposition. Well, a large part of the second half of the novel is the fallout of Samuel Hamilton's death mm-hmm. and the way that his influence still carries on through these other characters. And so I would say that a large part of the way Kathy is presented in the last half of the novel comes with the fact that Adam kind of defeats her by becoming Samuel Hamilton when he visits that one time and pulling a Sam on her. He just smiles at her and yeah, yeah. goes his way. Yeah, well, he really. Figure, he figures something out. I, so yeah. Sam like pops on the scene in the in the middle of the book, and then when he dies, he haunts the rest of the book. Yeah, and that's sort of why I wanted to I found myself uh, thinking of Elijah and Elisha because what ends up happening is Lee's always there and he's always an insightful figure, but Lee grows into I think. Samuel's role in the book and so as as the second half progresses we stop our references to Samuel become diminished and Lee begins to take on more and more and more of that yep. prophetic role the Sam, Sam's role up until the very end sort of you have those scenes with Cal and Cal and Adam where Lee's doing what exactly what Sam did in the middle with the naming of the kids and pulling Adam out of the muck, he's going to pull the Trask family up. And Yeah, this there are a lot of parallels throughout this book. One thing that Samuel's always doing is he's play-acting this role. You know, yeah. he knows he yeah. has to do this, and it's insightful and it's good counsel for us as well. You know, he, he play so when he goes and he punches Adam, mm-hmm. he admits that he's just putting that on. It's not him. Did he's I do like, well? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I've, it's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, he's doing... <laughs> well, and he's always I found making... it completely comical. The whole time he's like beating him, he's, he's shouting things that are almost... N- they sound sort of poetic and sort of nonsensical. Right. And yeah, it just I had to slow down. Quite, and I was wondering, what's, well, what what's he, he saying? saying? Right. What is he trying to do? And then he finally gets done and... Did I do it right? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. thought it was a really but, uh, really sweet moment. To, to get to your point with Elijah and Elisha, did you pick up on when Lee at the end, he has to stand up and he pretends he's going to fight? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So he he's realized that he has to play act too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it's And believe that he didn't yeah. have to And actually, Lee took yeah. a book from Samuel Hamilton, the Marcus Aurelius, I think yeah. it was, yeah. which is a sweet little 
moment that Sam must have known, you know, the only person in a million years that could have stolen this thing was Lee. But I think it's very sweet how much, I mean, it is an Elisha type thing where Lee knows that Samuel Hamilton is the man that he needs to become mm-hmm. in some ways for the sake of the family and for the sake of himself. And he's will, Yeah, he's willing to do that for other people. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he's always effective, even like with his own children, mm-hmm. um, is another question. Right. Samuel, you mean. Yeah. Samuel. Yeah. I mean, he has many failings. And, and in a lot of ways, he has overtones of Mr. Bennett from mm-hmm. Austin, right? But he's succeeding in ways that Mr. Bennett failed. Well, he, I think he really does love Liza. You no, know? he does, yeah. They have a happy, but, yeah. have a good marriage. I love their marriage. I, I think, think it's, uh, it's beautiful that he had this moment in his youth that still, because he's a poet and emotional and can't get over things, still haunts him, and yet... You get every he's sense determined that he's been, to be a good husband. Yeah, he's faithful to, to Liza. He doesn't visit these whorehouses that all these other guys visit. He doesn't, as is expected of him, seduce every woman in the valley, which he he could. Oh, he could. No, have. Absolutely. Yeah. Loves and adores his children. He fails with them. Yeah. And he doesn't really ultimately equip them for life without him. But I, I don't want to fault him in any. I mean, I don't know. I think his failures I are too far into what are his. Well, his failures are the failures of an exuberant, poetical man. And I know people like that. I mean, I think of all that is a way in which he rings very psychologically true, apart from just being this archetype or this mythical prophet figure. It makes sense to me how Sam's children end up, even the ones, you know, which is maybe more than half of them that don't end up having what you'd call a happy ending. Um, It's at least half of them that don't. Um, Or even the ones like Will Hamilton, who just kind of resents his family a little bit and ends up being a very stodgy businessman and not likable very much at all until the moment where Cal comes to visit him. And even there, you don't know how much he's just recognizing a fellow jerk and making some money. Steinbeck gives him a little bit there though. Does Steinbeck give him a little bit there? Yeah, I think he does. I'll try to find it. Yeah. Try to find that, and we'll we'll talk about Will in a second. What was you guys' favorite Samuel Hamilton moment? Sounds like you already said yours, Jake. Oh, it's where he punches at him. Where Absolutely. he punches at him, that yeah. scene. That whole, I, just him shouting poetry like he's howling at the moon. And, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and then they they embrace, and then, did I do it right? Yeah. It was just, yeah. a, I just thought that was such a sweet moment. And, and I would want, though, as a moment to pair that with that this the scene with Liza before he goes because I, I thought that was a really sweet scene. Given the difficulties of their relationship and their marriage, uh, the ways that they have made it work kind of shine through in that in that moment in a sweet way too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing that I think makes Liza and Samuelton or Samuelton <laughs> keep calling him Samuelton. Um, What's sweet about their marriage is that neither one of them seems bitter about that about it. They both they understand yeah. that they are completely different kinds of people. Not maybe even the people in the very back of their heads. Maybe they even think, you know, is this the person I would have chosen? You know, but instead of I mean, the Bennets are an excellent contrast, Brandon. I mean, I think Samuel Hamilton is a man that could easily say, "I was romantic, and look at what I got. I got this religious." stodgy puritan of a wife that i have to sneak out to my barn to have a drink she doesn't share my joys she doesn't share my books she doesn't share my love of all these things he could have easily gone that direction and yet he was big enough to fit her to yeah and 
well and humble enough to to see and recognize her strengths and what she brought to him and to the children and yeah. you know that first or second time he meets Kathy one of the things that he realizes he's got to do is he needs his wife's wisdom he mm-hmm. needs his wife to come because mm-hmm. he's fully capable of seeing ghosts but if Liza sees a ghost it's a real ghost and that sort of thing where where he's come to to value and appreciate who normally you would see to be a very uh, two-dimensional, unappreciated, or difficult to appreciate sort of character. It's really... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he Good. appreciates her, and Steinbeck easily could have made her out to be some horrible character that he... Dis- it would be easy to despise her mm-hmm. in her hardness and her coldness, but he gives her warmth through the love of her husband mm-hmm. and through the wisdom that she gives to him. Yeah, and I the think care that she has for her children. Compare too. her to because there's a couple of these women like Cyrus Trask. You know, it says a, a man used up a lot of wives, and and he has these. You know, he has his first wife, who's a religious kind of type, and gets syphilis from him uh, from uh, Cyrus sleeping with a prostitute, and <laughs> goes and drowns herself. And I guess it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> she yeah, goes and drowns weird, herself yeah. in a puddle, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And thinks about how bad the linen's going to look when they find her body. Um, so you've got her. That's a bad example of <laughs> that type of woman. And then you've got Liza, who's just a practical, somewhat cold perhaps, but just a really practical woman and exactly the woman that a uh, Im- wildly impractical man like Samuel Hamilton needs. Yeah, without Liza, the family doesn't survive. I love the depiction yeah, of her. Sam starves. She know? she makes chicken for all the funeral guests, and you yeah. know she just never stops. And yeah, she's a very capable woman. Their home is clean. They're well cared for, and it's not because of Samuel. It's because of her. And she's she doesn't hate him. She doesn't bicker about him. She puts well, up with she him. She bickers. Well, yeah, she bickers. She bickers at him. She gets but, great pleasure out of bickering yeah. at him. But not married, so I don't. I can't speak, but. Most of the married couples that I enjoy spending time with have a, a, a relationship that's a little bit like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If I try to expound on it, I'll probably mess it up. But I'll give it a shot. Um, give it a shot. Give it a shot. I, I enjoy... Tim Schull. Yes, Tim Schull. Thou mayest. Thou mayest. I I enjoy the fact that they've made it work, that they have a sense of humor or that he has a sense of humor and that she has a sense of humor through not nagging his sense of humor into the dust about their relationship. And I think that's very sweet. There's just a lack of bitterness. The fact, I mean, of course she knows that he goes out and has a drink, you know. She ends up becoming something of an alcoholic by the end of her life anyway. (laughs) Exactly. And then they're both finally prepared to go live with the kids and spend their last days, you know. If she was the the nutty religious stereotype that you're afraid she's going to be, then I think she'd want to stay on that land that you know, and just be silent and deferential like like one, one of the Mrs. Trask's, one of Adam's mothers. But She's more three-dimensional than that. Yeah. And I like her little scene with the parrot at the end when Adam goes and sees her the, That's last, funny. the last time that we <laughs> yeah. meet her. And she's trying to get the parrot to drop its body language. and a um, sweet that, touch. Yeah, yeah, that's just a really funny touch. Yeah. A, su- a sweet touch, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> that parrot. <laughs> it's like uh, she had Samuel back in her life. Somebody else to <laughs> love and slightly be frustrated by. Right. 
the, the only other thing I thought might be worth discussing about Samuel Hamilton is that in reading the book for, for a second time, I don't know whether you guys felt this reading it the first time, but there was a sense in which the story doesn't really get started until Samuel kicks the bucket. And I'm guessing not, none of us have seen the movie version, right. but it's pretty clear from watching the trailer for the uh, James Dean movie version from the 50s that that story probably doesn't even feature Samuel Hamilton, or if it does, he's just in a flashback or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, because the story is the story of Cal and Aaron. And if you were just writing the straight-ahead soap opera, Kroger, supermarket, bestseller version of this, it is the Cal and Aaron story. And you might get some flashbacks in it, but you might get some flashbacks. Maybe you'd have your Obi-Wan figure, you know, show up to do a little bit or something. But there is a sense in which the mechanics of the plot and, and the hooks that drive you through the story, the main story, don't really take off until Samuel Hamilton is dead. It's almost like the story can't get going until that rock has been thrown into the pool and those ripples, like Brandon was talking about, have started to affect everybody and Samuel Hamilton's magic has started to work on everybody. That's when the story finally gets punched. Do you guys agree? Disagree? Yeah, I do agree. I think the other side of that is that so long as Samuel Hamilton's alive, every story is going to gravitate towards him. He's just that large and magnetic of a character. And, mm-hmm. and he's also our storyteller's beloved grandfather. And so he's just going to, he's going to have that, that weight at the middle. And then finally, once he, you as a storyteller can put your grandfather to rest. Then you can start telling the story that you came to tell. You also get the sense that, I mean, you have to wonder where he got the story from. And if he got it from Samuel, then of course Samuel is going to figure prominently into these uh, early part of the novel because he's the one who is telling the story through his grandchild. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it doesn't bother me that he's such a prominent figure. No, I, I, I love it, every moment we get to spend with him. Yeah, it's just it's. I can see why a critic. I wouldn't agree with this critic, but I can see why a critic would say the novel lacks unity, in that Samuel Hamilton and his function. <clears throat> it almost feels like it's drawing us away from. Yeah, it is some of the other functions of the novel. It absolutely is. And I'm okay is, with that tension. And, uh, mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So what? The novel. It's a big sprawling novel about multiple families and these themes of fathers and sons and it carries through his family as well and you get these little like we were saying the eddies at the side of the river with his son tom and then you with desi Mm -hmm. and his children but those still in some way push the story forward and you um i don't know i'm interested to know what you guys thought of that tom and desi side aside almost well let's get it it, let's get into doesn't first of all does anybody want to say anything else right now about Samuel or Liza Mm-mm. specifically. I'm not a big Mumford and Sons fan, but I, I remember that they had a song called Tim Shull. And then, so I, I played it and there's a, a middle verse of that song. And I can't, I don't know it well enough to quote it, but the part of that song that did make me emotional was the part where I heard Samuel in it. Mm. And I think that there's a, a reality to the fact that, Despite my attachment to the other characters, the one character that I I feel the loss of or am going to miss the most, going to wish to have back, is still going to be Samuel. And I, I think that that's a part of 
I don't know the beauty of how the story ends up being told. Well, because that's how all the characters feel. It's like if Samuel was around for the second half of the book, then he would just make it okay somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's not. And so, therefore, some pretty ugly things happen that you feel like if this judge, if this prophet was still around, then maybe he could have picked up the broken pieces. But And to the extent that he is still around in Lee and in Adam, he does uh, bring redemption to the story. But you do feel his loss. And that's mm-hmm. that's some of the genius of the way the book is yeah. written. Yeah, that's right. And it's no more apparent. No, Yeah, nowhere is it more apparent than in his own family mm-hmm. and the way that they deteriorate after his death. Let's talk about his family. Did you guys feel that that was the kind of family that he would have? Did they ring true to you? They did ring true to me, mm-hmm. I think. You have resent- everybody adores Samuel. Everybody respects Liza. He left the kinds of holes that you would expect. And the kinds, depending on the character or the gifts of the kids, various resentments or various, you know, just gaping wounds. That And, and, and there were whole kids, too, that came out. Olive seems to be whole. Mm-hmm. Joe, oddly enough, seemed to be whole. <laughs> he, <laughs> he went off and had, yeah, he just... went off and became a successful advertising guy, right? In yeah, New York, yeah. After going to to Stanford, yeah, he was the babied one, mm-hmm. the one that they all thought couldn't. <laughs> it was funny where he he wanted to go with them, and his mother didn't want him to out when they were digging that one well, mm-hmm. and then he gets out there and. His father gives him a book to read. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just read this. Don't touch anything. <laughs> that is one of the charming things about about Liza, by the way, is that in, in spite of her sort of biblical staunchness, she does have weakness for her children and you know yeah. it makes her a more rounded character she's not just a old battle axe with a rolling pin that's you know going after her kids to work hard and catching her husband drinking and stuff like that she she understands that her one son is a dud and she loves him yeah i mean you get the sense that a certain type of discipline is lacking in their home mm-hmm. yeah but that yeah. there's still happiness there I mean, because Joe has no discipline. Mm-hmm. But they're the type of family they would have all been expected to be clean and show up to the dinner table clean and well presented mm-hmm. and then just left free to do roam, what they want. Roam the hills and yep. yeah. gaze at the stars. Gaze and, at the stars. Yeah. So you've got George, who just, he's the firstborn. He just ends up bland and boring, and we hardly find out a thing about him. Yeah. He's sweet. Right. You find that out at the end where he's, where Will is thinking of all his siblings. Mm hmm. Isn't isn't it Will or who is it? George's sweetness that he could bring to a room, and his kindness. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. remember. And then you've got Will, who ends up conservative, down to earth, kind of alienated from his family. And yet he does sort of carry his family along. You end up coming to find out that he ends up making sure he's the one that ends up paying co- for yeah, the he, funeral. He, he makes sure all the bills are paid. He covers things and nobody really knows about it and he feels despite how alienated unaccepted he feels everybody really does love will and appreciate will for what what he is he rings very true to me i think any family like this there's always the kid that just feels like i come from this family of weirdo eccentrics my dad's a colorful and i'm gonna be the guy that's gonna just go to college and i'm, make I'm it the black work. sheep yeah but he's, but I, what I what I actually am is I'm the white sheep in a family of nothing but black sheep in a sense. Black and white sheep doesn't really work for the Guys, for the Hamiltons. I mean, yeah, Tom's he's a poet. He found the poetry on his table and that scandalized him. And so there's some jealousy and resentment in Will. I think towards 
his father's attachment to Tom and to the other children, but also Will. He, this early on it establishes him. He's the practical one. He always had kind of the Midas touch. Wealth came to him whether he wanted it or not. Mm-hmm. He was just a good practical businessman. And he would, let his, he would let his anger get the best of him so his re- siblings wouldn't listen to him in mm-hmm. his frustration so his authority didn't come across. But his decisions were usually the right decisions. Yeah. Desi should not have gone back to Tom. Adam and should, Adam not, should have not have. Yeah, the train was a bad idea. Yeah. He was right about the beans. He, was, he had wisdom but no confidence almost. He's not he's, – doesn't he tell Cal he's not married, right? Yeah. That's, that's a little sad and seems to me to reflect poorly on him that – there is something withdrawn and bitter about him that he's not going to even continue his family's legacy. He's just going to make money and be practical and take care of his brothers and sisters as he needs to. And there is something noble in that. But I think maybe Steinbeck doesn't quite approve. And ne- No, I don't think he approves of Will. Will is lonely and Will is withdrawn on purpose. There's the scene where he decides to eat in the chop house a steak by himself instead of going up and eating with Adam and his family. Yeah, and that was as much a business move as it was anything else. But that's just the whole way he structures his life. Yeah, you really do get the sense that, you know, what Steinbeck really wants to do is contrast that materialistic, uber-practical, businessy type with somebody who lived a richer, fuller life, may not have had money, but... Nobody was as rich as Sam Ham- Sam Hamilton was, despite yep. his poverty. But then and, you've got. And Will traded all of that in for a different kind of poverty. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and then Steinbeck is wise enough, though, not to just make Will the villain, because you've got right. him contrasted with Tom, who is in many ways the opposite of Will and ends up just as tragically, if not more tragically, maybe a more poetical, beautiful kind of tragedy comes to Tom than Will's just slow, bland life. But what do we think about Tom and his relationship to his father and how did I, Samuel fail Tom or did I'm Samuel fail sure Tom? I'm not sure I can put words to all of it yet, but I can say that every time Steinbeck talked about Tom, especially early on, or he, do, he does these genealogical cycles where he'll introduce you and go through the line mm-hmm. and tell you about everybody. Then he'll come back and he'll do it all over again, but he'll tell stories and then he'll come back and do it all over again later. I think it's maybe the second time he does that where we get the picture of Tom. It, it was such a, a painful seeing seeing Samuel's expectation of greatness laid upon Tom, seeing uh, Tom sort of suffer under the weight of having a lot of of, of Samuel's gifts. Uh, I just ached the whole time I read read those scenes. And I it's just I, I think it, it I'm still at a place where it's fresh enough that I don't quite know how to talk about it yet. But. No, I understand. Yeah, he's his father sees himself in Tom most of any of the other children. He's the poet. He's the inventive creative one. Yep. Not in a way that Will's not. Will's a good businessman. Will doesn't like though to deal in uncertainties. Tom's full of joy and sorrow, yeah. highs and lows, very much. Um, and there you get the scene where he dances with Desi when Desi comes back. Yeah. And that's that. That was a good picture into what their family life was like. That these children were willing to dance with one another mm-hmm. and just have the slap each other on the bottom out yeah. in the middle of the mm-hmm. train station yeah, or whatever, and then he yeah. put all the letters and stuff and he, he was playful in a way that his father was too mm. but like Jake was saying there's the whole weight of his father's expectations mm. on his shoulder and he can't well, he doesn't know if he can live up to it this, this well, greatness it, it, that's inside of him 
the decision that he has to make to be great or to be normal, once that, that's placed on him, that's the that's the thing that ultimately undoes him, right? Yeah, you get you almost get the sense that if I could be wrong, maybe you have a different take, but you almost get the sense that if Samuel had never said a word to Tom about deciding whether or not to become great or normal, Tom might have turned out just fine. Yeah. Well, I think one of the functions that Tom fulfills in the novel, if it's a series of Cain and Abel type stories and situations, and if we're looking at fathers playing favorites, it would be easy to say what's destructive about a father playing favorites is the person that doesn't get chosen as the favorite. And so you have a couple examples of that. You've got Charles and then you've got uh, Cal, uh, both of who are almost destroyed or maybe destroyed by their father picking the other one. But Tom's a good example of he's destroyed by his father picking him. As the favorite, as the successor. Yeah, and you get that is a theme that carries. He's the special one, and I, I, I mean, I was certainly thinking about one of my children as I read about Tom. You know, there, there are certain kids. Your kids, it's amazing the way that they turn out. And my kids are still very young, but you get a sense of what what their character is, and maybe what they have in them, or what potential they have in them. And you can't, you can't fail as a father to your 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 sons, your kids. They're gonna feel the weight of your expectations, no matter how hard you try. It's a tough thing to not put undue yoke of burden on them, even from a very early age, to live up to what you think you see in them, whether yeah. it's real or not imagined, a function of your pride or your ambition for them. And in Tom's case, it was as far as we don't get to see any of his poetry, but he did. it seems like maybe he did have the material of greatness. I bet you Samuel wasn't wrong about him exactly. No way. but. I think it was. Who was Samuel ever wrong about? No, nobody. I mean, he knew his kids. And it's largely because he knew that he himself had that potential that was not necessarily squandered, but just set aside. The wonderful thing about Samuel is that he didn't need to be great. He knew he could have been great, and he was comfortable just being a poor farmer and helping other people and letting his greatness live on through them. (laughs) And he didn't give... I think maybe Samuel's failing or one of them was that he never gave Tom the same capacity. Tom needed to be great or Tom needed to die and Tom made his choice. I don't know that I would I, I think that might much, be that might be implicit. I I think I don't know how much to blame Sam. I don't know that Samuel did anything. I think Samuel really really wanted Tom to be great, but I think he also would have been just fine if Tom would have settled for being a normal guy. I think he might have been a little disappointed. but Oh, absolutely. It's just too bad he couldn't have conveyed that to Tom. Somehow, yeah, maybe yeah. it was Tom's fault. Who knows whose fault it is? We don't get to see. But somehow Tom got the idea that he was supposed to be great. And well, do we have one of the scenes where... Samuel does say something to Tom. I mean, he does yeah. He does at some point. I think maybe when they're working on the Trask's wells. Or... And also, I think there's something that happens after the Thanksgiving letter, right? Where he talks to Tom. Because Tom's the one who gives it to him. And he says something about, oh, they all wanted to lie and to make it where it didn't, it wasn't obvious what they were trying to do, but Tom just wanted to tell him the truth, yeah. right? And he said, well, that I ex- that's good. I expect that of you, son, you know, because you have the greatness of soul. You, The truth matters so much to you that – so there were these things that continually happened between him and Tom where he was setting these expectations. But, yeah, I'm not sure that it's completely Samuel's fault. No, no, I'm yeah. not trying to blame him. I well, think you, he yeah, probably. I'm, I'm agreeing with you because you said you weren't trying to blame. Right, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably bears some blame. I don't know. 
yeah. what the extent of it is or what he could have done differently or how he could have known. But uh, what about the women, the uh, the Trask girls? So you've got they're interesting. You've got Lizzie Ham Lizzie, who just not the Trask girls. I'm sorry. What about the women, the, the Hamilton, Hamilton girls. girls? You've got Lizzie Hamilton, who just hates her family and only shows up for funerals after she gets away as quick as she can. That's right. I forgot about her altogether. Yeah, I don't remember hardly anything. Because she's only mentioned, I yeah. think, in that very first chapter. Yeah, it says that there was something in her past, right, that he didn't know what it was that had caused a separation between them, between her and her family. You, What's the uh, the oldest one who goes off to Portland or wherever she goes? Oregon. 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 The one yeah. that dies, Una? Yeah, is it Una? Mm-hmm. Una's the one whose death basically brings on Samuel's Samuel. death, yeah. yeah, which is interesting, too. So you've got Lizzie who hates her family. That's interesting. That That's another, by the way, Una was his other favorite, right? Mm-hmm. And she ended up destroyed as much as Tom up in a cabin. Her fingernails are broken and her there toes, were the signs are, the of, toes yeah, are mangled. And and I hadn't thought of that before, but yeah, Samuel's favorites are undone in, some, in the same way that the Trask non-favorites are, <laughs> are sort of undone. Yeah, here's what's said about Lizzie. She early seemed to find a shame for her family. She was at funerals, you know, and then she had a capacity for hatred and bitterness unique among the Hamiltons. Mm-hmm. So that's all you ever hear of her. Right. And then you have Una. Well, it's interesting, at the very least, that Steinbeck, in this novel of the sins of the father being passed down and all this kind of family drama, he's willing to allow for the fact that some kids just end up different, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Samuel did or didn't do to Lizzie that made her that way, but some people just aren't digging it, and some people are, and that's just one of those weird things about life. Sometimes you can trace very clearly where something came from psychologically, and sometimes you just... Who knows? Especially when you're telling an oral story that you've you've heard from your grandfather or whatever, and you don't have all the pieces. Uh, and then we've got, uh, we've got Desi... Anybody have any interesting thoughts about Desi? Desi ends up playing sort of the same role that Sam does in the community, at least for a while, until she has her heart broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why does she have her heart broken again? It, she fell in love. That's right. She fell in love. It lasted for like a year, and then when it was done, she was done. But she she was, to the women of Salinas what or King City or wherever it was, what Samuel was to the men. Yeah. The women would go there, and they would laugh, and they would come home, and they would be cheered and the kids would be happy and the husband would be, the husband happy. Would be very happy and i really like that description of say yeah. mrs smith went to and then what mrs smith comes back and she's happy and he would make the what was he would do the gesture or something or touch her arm <laughs> touch in a certain way. <laughs> the old signal yeah like, time to put the kids to bed right, right. <laughs> but yeah that's what the men went to samuel and yeah they came back happy refreshed filled up with new perspective on life and yeah, I think in so far, going back to Samuel as someone who somehow raised a bunch of kids that didn't turn out well, I think that that aspect of it does ring true that oftentimes prophets are easier to deal with from a distance, you know, insofar as he is a prophet and a magnificent human being and a very colorful one. 
I mean, we've all seen examples of this in celebrities. Samuel's, Samuel's and, kids don't in, – in Scripture, Samuel's kids don't turn out well. Exactly. You see it all over the Scripture too. Hmm. King David's kids turn out like total crap. Except for that Solomon guy turned out pretty well, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Except for the parts where he didn't. Except for the parts where he didn't. So it's a very biblical – you can have a godly man and – a godly man that really helps a lot of people and does good and his goodness lives on in a lot of people. And those people aren't the people that were closest to him. And I don't know why it works that way, but I think yeah. Steinbeck captures something true there. Yeah. Not something that's a hundred percent of mathematics. If you're great, therefore your kids will be destroyed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we've seen this dynamic play out before. No, I mean, yeah, that dynamic plays out all the time in scripture. And yet at the same time, the, the Bible does make it clear that the fruit of your kids is the first place to look for uh, whether or not a man's good. good. <laughs> which yeah, is also sorry. which this book would also support. Um, so then you have Olive, Steinbeck's mother. I assume he's telling real stories about his mother. You have that wonderful section about the airplane, yeah. which I would say is the number one section that I have no clue why it belongs in the novel besides just that Steinbeck liked it, and I kind of like it too. He was fond of his mother, and you see, a lot of, you see a lot of her mother in Olive, right? Very fastidious and very practical and very good at housekeeping. You get the sense that she was a good homekeeper and a good wife. But looser and more yeah. free. She had her father in her that she be, she became a, a teacher, right? Yeah, and a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read when I was looking through the – I just scanned Steinbeck's wiki page because I was curious about how much of the Hamilton stuff is real and read about after going to Stanford, dropping out of Stanford, he went to New York and he took a job. So he's sort of like Joe in that sense. But then he ended up coming back and with his first wife and Olive and Ernest put him up in a house and yeah. basically financed his first novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that always – been very positive about him pursuing literature given the i had wondered about his mom and his relationship to his mom and dad just given how i mean given the theme of the book right i didn't get deep into it but it doesn't seem like he had any huge skeletons in the closet as far as his relationship with his father or anything that would make you think you would write a novel about fathers and sons not getting along yeah his parents seemed perfectly happy as to whether or not he was a good husband is another question no he was married three times and yeah um had some affairs and stuff like that yeah yeah he was no good yeah yeah dirty rotten scoundrel but he did manage to write this (laughs) he created sam hamilton so there's something I think he understood what good Tim and evil was to a certain extent. Yeah. Tim Tim <laughs> uh, then you got Molly. She's just a lovely sweetheart, and I don't remember anything about I her. I don't remember a thing. But she existed. She's bright and happy. Yeah. Pretty. I think that's all you get of her, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys both have uh, big families. I oh, do. Oh, boy. Yeah. What do you take away from the Hamiltons? Is there anything that scares you reading about the Hamiltons or that encourages you reading about the Hamiltons? Oh, I read through those Hamilton sections taking warning about, well, the whole thing, but thinking carefully about favoritism, thinking carefully mm-hmm. about, um, I don't, I had all kinds of sentimental moments mm-hmm. throughout the course of those things where I found myself wishing I could take every dandelion that my daughter had ever given me or every dumb little picture ripped out of a coloring book and 
hold on to it forever. I had this sort of <laughs> sentimental moments that you, that you have from time to time as a father where you really just treasure the sweetness of your kids. You treasure their affection. And you also at the same time are uh, regretting and repenting over how nasty you can be, how angry, mm-hmm. how just un- unkind, un- untender with the weakness and fragility of of your kids. And my oldest is seven years old, so I've got a lifetime of both the sorrow and the joys of being a father ahead of me, but I hope I never lose those, the sweetness of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Similar for me. The, um, the thing that stood out with me, well, the warning is to be consistently and loving with your discipline in your home because it's easy to lose sight of your children. But the even bigger warning for me wasn't so much a failure of Sam Hamilton's. It was the joy that he brought to his home Mm -hmm. and just his big capacity to be the center of the life of his home, even for this wife who was organized and took great care of her house. He was still... He was just alive and interested. And And he was her life too. And he brought life to her and he brought life to his children. And then to realize that he just took up that responsibility and that care and day in and day out, he was big and joyful and happy. And then just how easy it is to be angry and depressed and bitter at home. And just to be to a realize, ghost like Adam was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to realize that the whole happiness of your home doesn't necessarily depend on your wife and your children. It depends on you. And that was one of the big things I took away from the Hamilton family. Today's episode of The Bookening was written and produced by me, Nathan Alberson. It was performed by Nathan Alberson, Brandon Chastain, and Jacob Menzel. If you want more awesome content like this, go to warhornmedia.com. There's articles, there's music, there's more episodes of this amazing podcast, and just all kinds of cool stuff at warhornmedia.com. Cool stuff by me and my friends and work acquaintances. 